This is Holistic Counseling, the podcast for mental health therapists who want to deepen their knowledge of holistic modalities and build their practice with confidence. I'm your host, Chris McDonald, licensed therapist. I am so glad you're here for the journey. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Holistic Counseling Podcast. I am excited to be back after a month break from recording episodes for the holidays. I had a great time off, a little stressful and hectic with the holidays, but you know, it was really good to recharge, regenerate, and get ready for this new year of 2023. And I did miss podcasting, I will say that. So having Mondays as my podcast day really starts my week out in a fun way, and I love all the people I get to meet, so it's good to be back. And speaking of podcasting and connections, I have met today's guest, Dr. Niasha Grayman through Instagram. And a fun fact about her is she has a favorite sitcom, which is The Golden Girls, which I love that too. I used to love that show so much. But she's here to talk to you about her eight conceptual touchstones for her holistic counseling practice. Welcome to the podcast, Niasha. Oh, thank you for having me, Chris. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah. Can you tell my listeners more about yourself and your work? Sure. So I am Dr. Niasha Grayman, and I'm trained as a counseling psychologist, originally from New York, a transplant resident to Maryland. I've been here for about 13 years now. I have a boutique private practice that focuses on grief and bereavement therapy for Black women in the state of Maryland. And I'm also a professor of psychology and Africana studies at a Baltimore area college where I teach and I conduct research and I mentor the next generation of holistic counselors. Woohoo. <laughs> that's so exciting. I love it. Yeah, that's why I was so glad that you were able to come on today because I know my listeners will be so excited to learn from you. Thank you. So how did you first learn about holistic counseling? If memory serves me, probably in graduate school, which was some time ago, I was introduced to different terms, holistic, integrative, eclectic. I think probably eclectic was the first that I heard. Okay. Mm -hmm. But the, you know, the meaning that they were all trying to convey was an approach to counseling that took into consideration the spiritual, emotional, psychological, the social, the physical elements of a being and what it means to be human into consideration as we work toward ameliorating experiences of distress and uh, facilitating optimal functioning. As I, I think that that conceptualization or definition is, is still what I hold in mind, is an approach to counseling that is um, integrating different dimensions of a human being. Yeah, I think that's a perfect definition, really incorporating every part of ourselves. And I think it's so hard for me as a holistic counselor to imagine just not integrating so just and as a one-sided person, right? I can't, I can't imagine now. Yeah, it's taken me decades to actually be able to practice yeah. fully, authentically the way that I have thought for many years. Um, it wasn't part of my training. Uh, my training was traditional psychodynamic at New York University, and they kind of really shunned cognitive behavioral therapeutic techniques. No one was talking about somatic techniques. Um, I, I mean, I think the only time I even heard any kind of derivative 
of somatics was in in context of somatization and, and pathology, you know, and in my doctoral program, I was probably most aggressive about having professors integrate spirituality and spiritual orientations to conceptualizations and practice. But even with that, it always stayed at a conceptual level because when you go into practicums and internships and externships, you weren't really given the space to be a theoretician as a practitioner or to try integrative interventions. So in in that respect, I had to wait until I was done with my formal training to do what I really wanted to do. Yeah, that's so exciting, though, to finally take that journey into that. And I know when I was in grad school, it was mentioned one time. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, and there was no nobody really talked about it. And like, just like you, there was not the somatic or any of these other modalities out there. So I just I'm so happy to see the counseling field is moving in this direction of including more holistic practices. Yeah, I am as well. Long time coming. Yeah, for sure. So I know you mentioned that you wanted to talk about your conceptual touchstones. So how did you discover these? Because you said they're related to your practice of holistic counseling. Yeah. How did you come up with this? So I decided fall, the end of fall 2018, to open a practice in Maryland. And as part of that practice building journey, I did a lot of research and a lot of study trying to figure out how to best structure the practice in a way that was going to be organic and authentic to who I am as a person. That I felt that I'm going to start this private practice and this is now going to be the time where I'm going to pull together all of these thoughts and and ideas that I've held for decades at this point into application. And I needed to think about how to structure the systems and structure the practice in a way that was going to support the actual clinical work, very outcomes focused. And so I started doing a deep dive into the different uh, practice podcasts. Uh, One that I started with was Practice of the Practice, Joe Sanic. And as I continued along, I, I realized there were different concepts from different podcasts that really felt resonant and gave me the language to describe what it was that I was trying to do. And so um, together, I kind of think of them as touchstones, uh, foundational touchstones for my practice and how I structure it. And those are being energy motivated, heart centered, high touch, being niche, which before I started listening to the practices, I always called niched. I know, me too. Um, <laughs> uh, having your own personal practice, being someone who engages in slow marketing and slow growth versus quick marketing and quick growth, entrepreneurial poverty and trying to avoid that, and staying in the fun stage of business. That, you know, the eight of so those much together. Good stuff. Yeah. yeah, the eight of those together really captured how I was trying to do this work as a now quote unquote business owner which I never really yeah. thought of myself as a business owner. I, I know still don't. it takes, takes a while. Well, I worked in the school system. So I was a school counselor. So that was like a big transition from working yeah. in the school system to, wow, I'm actually a business owner. Right. It's still not language that rolls off the tongue for me. I, I can say practice owner, but business owner yeah. doesn't really quite land the same. But all of those together kind of really spoke to the kind of practice owner that I wanted to be. 
and how I wanted to do this work. I love how you said it It was from all your experiences of listening to podcasts Mm -hmm. and all the information that just you connected with. So energy motivated. So that was the first one you said. So what does that mean? Right. So from the podcast, Empathy Rising, I learned about this focus on being energy motivated. There was an episode that focused on the top four motivations that we have as practitioners and practice owners. And the first was money, the second time, third energy, and fourth value. And of course, the the take home is that We're motivated by all four to a different extent, but that there may be one motivation that is more salient than others. And for me, I I think it was energy motivated at that. I realized that as I made decisions, every decision, decision from the electronic health record system that I was going to use, the number of clients that I would work with at one time, whether to remain a solo practitioner or go for developing a group practice, I realized was all very much connected to my being an energy-motivated person, that I make decisions based on what feels authentically resonant. I make decisions uh, slowly. I like to move slow. Even before I started the practice, I was very interested in advocating for the slow professor movement. So even in that arena of my life, I like to take my time. I like to go deep and broad rather than general breadth. And so I I learned that this was a way, one way for me to check in with myself when I was making decisions about how to set up the practice of checking in, is this energy aligned in terms of what you're thinking about doing here? And when it wasn't, being willing to walk away from that. So it sounds like, are these almost like values for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they are. Which is interesting because, right, one of the motivations is values. I was like, well, I'm also (laughs) value motivated. The value for conserving energy and using energy in a way that's aligned. Yes, I would say that that's true. So do you periodically go back to these, especially with business decisions? I do. I do. I go back to these and I also re-listen to these episodes. Mm -hmm. Wow. So you really are thoughtful on on things that you do in business. Yes. So heart-centered. So heart-centered, which even I think there's overlap between some of these these values. Heart-centered, I first heard on the Selling the Couch podcast. I love Melvin. (laughs) Yes. Also a counseling psychologist. I was like, oh, yeah. counseling psychologist. And the Abundant Practice yes. um, podcast mm-hmm. both had episodes and interviews with individuals who talked about having heart-centered practices. And in essence, they were speaking to having work that is meaningful and doing work that is meaningful, that is aligned. So I think there's a lot of overlap with energy focus. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm just using the language that I've seen used in these different areas to describe, you know, these ways of being. The therapist who's heart-centered is is purpose-driven, is likely to be a high empath, and so they are going to maybe take on a smaller load of things so that they can go deep, so that they can have a very rich, and this goes in probably to the next value that I have, a high-touch experience. When I think about the type of therapists 
that I want to be. I want to be a therapist who's accessible between sessions, who is able to offer a highly personalized experience, an individualized experience, and the type of therapist that gives each client the same thoughtful, contemplative, grounded, centered energy, regardless of which day of the week they see me, which actually then goes into probably developing a personal practice and being niche. But that that to me is 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 kind of what it means to be heart-centered. Yeah, so I see how there are a lot of overlap with mm-hmm. these. <laughs> Mm-hmm. They're all connected. So I know we talked before we hit record too a little bit about your boutique style of therapy. So I think this, if if you don't mind sharing that, just because I think this ties in well with, with the touchstones and what you're talking about and how do you set up your practice? Can you share that with listeners? Sure. Right. So my practice is boutique, which means that I work with no more than six clients at a time. Thinking about the energy motivation I also onboard no more than two clients in a given month. In part, I do that because my structured integrative approach to grief therapy is intensive, which also then goes into the high touch kind of value that I have. And the intensive looks something along the lines of working with me for five consecutive days the first week that we work together then four consecutive days, then three, then two, then once a week into what we consider a more traditional model. And my thinking behind that, and it's connected to kind of this heart-centered motivation, is that when you're acutely bereaved, the idea of having to wait six additional days before you can connect with your therapist feels painful. I mean, and and that I'm speaking from my own experience. And what I want to do with that, with that intensive is establish a connection, a relationship, a rapport that I think is facilitative based on the research and best practices and trainings and trauma treatment and intervention. And the people who come to me are traumatically bereaved for the most part that will establish a an environment, a context in which the client is able to experience some level of stability relatively quickly in in our course of treatment. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. I, I think of bereaved clients I see as you were talking and I'm thinking this could be so beneficial, this practice mm-hmm. of seeing them more in the beginning. And it sounds like you kind of titrate down. And Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Right. So, I know the other touchstone was personal practice. Mm-hmm. So, so what does that mean to you? Right. So the importance of having a personal practice, I really got from Carla Herbert and her conversation on a trauma therapist podcast some years ago. And he talked about her approach to the work. And she is a grief therapist, a grief specialist. And she talks about the importance of having a personal practice. You know, we know from interpersonal neurobiology that we as therapists are significant tools of grounding and co-regulation for clients who are dysregulated. And a lot of the clients who I see when they first come to me, right, they're dysregulated. And so the idea of having a practice that fine-tunes your spirit, your body, your mind, your emotions as an instrument of co-regulation 
is very important in this work. And so for me, that means integrating things that I do on a daily basis that will tap into my four senses, that will involve sound healing, that involve uh, breath work, that involve body movement, thinking as an integrative therapist and as an integrative being, the importance of spiritual study and starting off with the importance of sleep and sleep hygiene. I say to people that my day starts with the night before and my sleep hygiene practice and becoming very serious about that, knowing that that is the foundation of a therapeutic experience for my clients is how well-tuned I am as an integrative being. I love what you just said too. I so well-tuned. And I, I think people, especially therapists, sometimes forget the importance of a personal practice and how of that is a necessity mm-hmm. to really be integrated to best help our clients. Because a lot of us can just say, oh, here, you know, do some breath work and meditation, but I'm not going to, but you can. Right. It's really <laughs> right? challenging. It's it really is. challenging it is. in practice. I mean, right, I can list the five things I do, but actually engaging is, oh, is yeah. difficult. It means really being comfortable with saying no a lot mm-hmm. because there are many, many, many demands on our time oh, in absolutely. addition to being a uh, a holistic counselor and therapist. I am also a professor. I'm a mother. I'm a wife. I'm a daughter. I'm a sister. I'm a friend. I'm a cousin. I'm a being, you know, who has her own needs. And so the, this prioritization, it's effortful yeah, because yeah, there are multiple is. demands. Mm-hmm. How do you do it? Because you're juggling a lot. I start with sleep. Yeah, I do. I really do. I prioritize sleep. Mm -hmm. I really do. And I compartmentalize. I am a place, you know, there's a place for everything and everything in its place kind of person. And so I do block my schedule in that way. I have specific times when I see clients. uh, That's typically in the morning uh, and the afternoons and the evenings is typically professorial work. I also homeschool. So that's God bless you. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, that's happening as well. But it's creating a space for everything with a cushion. Ah. Very important to add to bookend the time blocks with cushions with because cushions. life happens. I think that's so important with that flexibility too. And and what you think may happen that day may not be right. <laughs> because other things come up. And Right. Right. And probably one of the most difficult areas for me to put this into practice is around limiting the number of clients I work with because the, you know, the tendency is to try and work with everyone we can. Like, oh, I can squeeze someone in and I can schedule. And I have to constantly say to myself, you feel as though you have this expansive bandwidth because right now everything is moving slow, you know, smoothly. But you know that life happens, Niasha, and you need to create a cushion for when life happens. And so even though you may be skilled and could help this person, the answer has to be no right now. So that's the thoughts that go through your mind. Those are the thoughts that go through my mind, which actually um, makes me think about your previous episodes in your other podcast life with the episodes that focused on burnout to avoid that. Yes, absolutely. That my nothing left to give podcast. Yes, nothing left to give to avoid burnout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's such an important thing, that cushion. I think people don't 
do that enough with their schedules. Mm -hmm. Right. And so then thinking again, back to how do I structure this practice that allows me to have a cushion that helps me to avoid burnout? I had to think pragmatically about finances and money, which brings me to that whole notion of entrepreneurial poverty. And that I I also had to be serious about avoiding that landmine. Therapists, I think, in general, are heart-centered and we're humanistic. And we do this work because we want to help people, right? (laughs) Hopefully. I had to figure out how to set fees in a way that would not lead me to be stressed and not lead me to feel anxious, to feel desperate as a therapist that gave me breathing room to focus on the self-care and the personal practice, keeping in mind that the practice is boutique and is going to be part-time so that I can stay in. And I think this is the last touchstone in that fun stage of business. That was another concept that I got from one of Joe Sanek's episodes of Practice of the Practice, where the gentleman talked about four stages of business. I don't even remember the other three because I said, And when I heard fun, I was like, that's me. You're like, that. yes, that's it. That is me. I want to stay in the fun stage of business. I am not interested in scaling up. I'm not interested in having a group practice and taking on supervisory and personnel and administrative roles in that way. I want it to be as purely about the clinical work and helping people who are bereaved as much as possible. And so I'm going to set all of the structures up so that I'm able to focus on being a therapist. That's so important. I think there's a lot of pressure to like scale up all the time. There's a lot of pressure. Oh, you're still getting referrals and you need Mm -hmm. to have a group. And I'm telling you, group is not for everybody. You know, I've had one. It's been difficult and I'm not sure I'm going to keep it. (laughs) Yes, yes. It's just hard. It's just... Uh, there's so many nuances that you don't even think of that come up. And yeah, and I like that fun thing about it, the fun stage, what what brings you there. It sounds like it helps you to stay in that focused realm of what you want to do, staying in alignment. Yeah, staying in alignment, staying grounded. I can't remember the language that he gave to the stage beyond fun, but it's basically the arena that you step into where then you need to begin to outsource. You need to uh, begin to kind of create recipes for the things that you're doing. And I don't, I don't want to do that. And that goes back to being very high touch focus as well. I like the high touch. I like the contact. I like knowing all of the nuance. And it's probably a piece of control. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. But I think too, is it's that pressure you hear too, especially if you're in Facebook groups and hear the, all these podcasts of, oh, here you can, you know, have other ways to make money as a therapist and everybody feels like they have to do it. And, you know, I think then you try some things and it's a lot of work, a lot, <laughs> of, a work. lot of stress, right? And also we have to create holistic counseling practices that are yeah. that are true to who we are. I also had to, as I listened to a lot of that pressure to scale up and develop a group practice and create multiple streams of income, yes. I also had to listen mm-hmm. to that, you know, through the lens of someone who is actually a full-time professor. And so I'm not necessarily exactly. in the same position. And so this might not be a message for me and for my practice. 
That's great self-talk. Yeah. This message may not be for me. So reminding yourself of that. But it doesn't mean that you're a failure or it reflects right. on you poorly. I think it's just knowing where you are and what you want mm-hmm. for your career. Right. Making it your own. Right. Making it your own. Because I think it it's hard, especially because I have multiple things I'm doing and it's hard. Some days it's like, why am I doing this? <laughs> 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 but I make it through. It's right. okay. Usually things can be ruined, but like you said, you know, life does happen. Things come up or personal stuff. And, you know, you got to reroute and figure out how you're going to get through and get back on track. So going back to slow marketing, slow growth, can you talk about that one? Yes, that was a, another concept that I picked up from the Empathy Rising podcast. When you're when you're building a practice and if you're listening to the podcast, like you said, there's a lot of pressure to scale up, to develop a group practice. And then there are a number of episodes that talk about marketing and, and different mindsets around marketing. And marketing is a way really to introduce what you do to a community, to let people know that you're here. And there are different approaches to doing that. And that can include paid advertisements, for example, like on Instagram, et cetera. So I tinkered with that a little bit, but it didn't quite feel, again, authentic and organic to who I am because I do like to do things slow and organically, or rather I like to do things organically, which then typically means that I'm going slower. That's really how I should say it, because it means that it's going to take more time for the community to know I'm here and what I do rather than a pay ad, a paid ad. And from the Empathy Rising podcast, I just learned the language that my approach to that is a slow approach. It's relationship intense, relationship high touch. These things take more time and they're slower to yield fruit, but they tend to or they can yield hardier fruit in the long run. And I think that's what I'm looking for is a practice that is small but mighty and sustainable. Yeah, that's that's that sounds like a tagline. <laughs> uh, I like that. Maybe you'll see that on my website next week. <laughs> what did you say? Small, mighty, small, and mighty, sustainable. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I've not heard of the slow marketing, slow growth. That's new to me. The slow marketing, slow of, growth, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think a lot of therapists could benefit from that. Yeah. And I remember the the visual that the host gave us to think about it was to think of having a hundred guests in your house and how overwhelmed you would be if you truly yes. had a hundred people in your home and you were hosting them and that we tend to focus a lot on vanity metrics and how many followers we have on the different social media accounts, but you have no idea about the quality of, of the followers in terms of the, the nature of the relationship and that, you know, you may be a slow marketer and have 20 followers, but those are people who are really engaged And when something comes up, they're liable to pass that information on. So to not necessarily think that bigger is better or faster is better. Yeah, agreed. When I went for therapy for myself, one time I had a therapist I was trying to grow and he's like, you know, you can put things out in the universe and things that you want, but, you know, just make sure you say to the universe that don't send me any more clients than I can handle. Yes. <laughs> that, yes. that has stuck with me because I'm like, yes. yeah, especially when you're, you know, business is slow and you need, but you don't want to have like 25 referrals and at least I don't in a week. <laughs> I agree. Right. You do, you do planting and you're like, okay, I've planted the entire field. You're like, uh, if a quarter of that field yields, <laughs> you're <Right>. in trouble. <laughs> Yeah. So that can lead to overwhelm. So I think that, yeah, that's true with the slow marketing. Maybe that can just be the gradual pace into business and and building it 
And I guess the way you want it to be built. The way you, I want it to be built, the way that privileges, you know, being energy focused. I need yeah. a lot of rest. I'm, uh, I am a, an adherent of the NAP ministry <laughs> with the NAP <laughs> bishop, Trisha Hersey. And um, yeah, I want to be rested and in alignment. I don't want to be, as she said, booked and busy. Yeah, that sounds like you're really good with boundaries too. I am, and I have been for a long time, I will say. How did it you is, do that? I don't know. I, I do think it's it's a it's a character disposition. It's something that people have told me at least since graduate training. Wow. Yeah, yeah. professors have told me since graduate training, colleagues, uh, you know, at the college tell me that. So it's something I've I've heard for a long time. Yeah. So I wonder if that's a mindset too, that people have to really get into that shift and mm-hmm. and just reminding themselves of what they are aligned with, mm-hmm. just like you did and creating their own touchstones. Right. Creating your own touchstones and then being faithful to them. And faithful. Yeah. Because it sounds like you can't just say, hey, I'm going to do this and not right. look at it again. You got to really, it sounds like you've kind of ingrained these into your who you are and your practice. So what have you noticed the results of your practice. So, because you have a different kind of therapy practice, what are the outcomes for clients that you've worked with? Yes, I've I've been thinking about this a lot actually. As I revisit yet another podcast, practice building podcast that I I enjoy is uh, the one produced by the women from Zinni Me. Yes. Um, is I really I I like their approach to being outcomes focused as you build a practice and develop it and grow it. I would like to say that I've had really great outcomes <laughs> as a result. <laughs> I Let's see, I started the practice in 2020, so three years. In that time, I have had two clients who did not complete the full 18 sessions, like the initial 18 sessions. I have virtually no no-shows as a result of the way. Yes, yes. Hmm. I have very, 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 very low attrition. I'm I'm definitely doing much better than the RCT studies, the random control trial studies. Yeah, oh my gosh. Significantly better. And it's because, again, structurally, I set things up in a way that really draw clients who are committed, who are conscientious, but also who are open to experience because they do know that I'm an integrative therapist. And so they come open and ready to engage in kind of different ways of of healing modalities. And thinking about that entrepreneurial poverty piece, a a unique aspect of the thing I, I set up my practice in thinking about the entrepreneurial poverty piece, a unique aspect of the financial structure of my practice is that clients actually pay for a month of services up front. So it's almost oh, like okay. almost like a therapy card, you know, that clients buy, if you will, and then the credit gets deducted over the course of the month. And so therapy is prepaid. And then I do submit super bills to clients for them to submit to insurance for reimbursement. But I think there is something about level of seriousness and commitment to the therapy, to the intensive therapy that you can surmise from someone who is willing to do that. That that really speaks of, of your clients and who they are and, and right. How right. motivated they are. And, right. And how motivated they are, exactly. Yeah. 
Oh, that's really cool. So what's a takeaway you could share today that could help listeners that might be just starting their holistic journey? Oh, I think that my favorite is wherever you go, there you are. Mm. So deal with the self first. It's the foundation of a thriving practice. What's the best way for listeners to find you and learn more about you? Well, if you're interested in setting up a consultation because you're interested in working with me, you can go to my website at wisdomcounseling-baltimorellc.com. I am also on Instagram at Baltimore Grief. And I also post blogs relating to grief and bereavement on LinkedIn. So you can also find me on LinkedIn. Oh, that's great. And all of those will be in the show notes as well for our listeners to find. But I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Dr. Niasha. This has been a great discussion. Thank you for having me, Chris. It's enjoyable. And you reach the end of another episode of the Holistic Counseling Podcast. Do you struggle with making yourself a priority? In my webinar series, Holistic Self-Care Boundaries for Therapists, you can learn how to set emotional, physical, and energetic boundaries, as well as some hands-on skills to help fill yourself up and stay grounded so you can boost your overall wellness, you can show up as your best self for clients. This is part of my Holistic Webinar Recording Series, now available for $50 each or three for $97. Check it out today at holisticcounselingpodcast.com forward slash holistic dash webinars. And this is Chris McDonald sending each one of you much light and love. Till next time, take care. Thanks for being here and listening to this episode. Do you struggle to find time for self-care and end up at the bottom of your to-do list? My one-hour webinar, Holistic Self-Care Boundaries for Therapists, is for you. Learn how to show up for yourself and set emotional, physical, and energetic boundaries. Check it out today at holisticcounselingpodcast.com forward slash holistic dash webinars. 